You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Useless information. Hi, I'm Steve Silverman, and you're listening to a classic episode of the Useless Information Podcast. This next story, Extracting Gold from Seawater, was released on August 30th of 2008. That's just seven days after I got married. Now, I thought I knew what the story is about, but I have to tell you, after listening to the recording for the first time in over 16 years, I was way off. I was thinking of a completely different story. But now that I have listened to it, my memory has been refreshed. I do recall that I first came across the story in the April 1968 edition of American Heritage magazine. The article was written by Samuel Carter III, and it was titled, Would You Believe Salted Salt Water? And while I'm talking way too fast throughout this entire episode, it is a good one, and I do hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast, my collection of fascinating true stories from the flip side history. My name is Steve Silverman, and today's story is one that I call Extracting Gold from Seawater. It's the incredible story of the gold accumulating machine that was invented by Pastor Charles Fisher in the late 1800s to really pull gold out of the world's oceans. But before we do that, let's start with today's question of the day. September 17, 2008, which is just a couple of weeks from this point in time where I'm recording this podcast, will mark the 100th anniversary of the death of Lieutenant Thomas Selfridge. And I'm guessing you've probably never heard of him, but his death will forever mark an important point in history. So my question for you is, what is so significant about the death of Thomas Selfridge 100 years ago? That is today's question of the day. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And now for today's story on extracting gold from seawater. Now, you may or may not know this, but there truly is gold in the oceans, in the seawater. And it was first discovered back in 1872, and even to this day, no one's exactly sure what the concentration is. It's just too small of an amount to actually measure accurately. 
Estimates range between 5 and 50 parts per trillion, with the average estimate being about 13 parts per trillion, which is a really, really small amount. And as a result, it's really difficult to extract it. And there have been attempts to do this. Now, if you could extract the gold from the seawater, it's estimated that there probably would be about 10 trillion U.S. dollars worth of gold in the world's oceans. So I'm sure you realize that it's virtually impossible to harvest this yellow metal profitably. The concentrations in the oceans is just too low. But that hasn't stopped some people from actually trying or at least convincing other people that they could do so. And this story goes back to 1897 and involves just two men. The first guy is a Baptist minister from Edgartown, Massachusetts, named Prescott Jernigan. And the second guy was his boyhood friend named Charles Fisher. And those are basically the only two names you need to know for the story, Prescott Jernigan and Charles Fisher. Now, somehow, some way, the two of them ended up in a town called Lubeck, Maine, which is actually the easternmost town in the continental U.S. You can't go more east in the United States than Lubeck, Maine. It's a very, very remote place. And they claimed to have developed a new way to extract the gold from the seawater. In fact, Jernigan claims that uh, while he was sleeping, God told him how to do it. And then through repeated experiments, he figured out how to actually get the gold out of the water. And the process involved taking a zinc-lined wooden box and treating it with quicksilver, which is mercury. And then they would drop it into the water and pass an electrical current through it. They would basically hook it up to a battery. And then the gold would absorb the mercury. And then, uh, you know, basically they would go in and pull the box up and there would be the gold. Now, whether this could truly be done or not, if you mention the word gold and you basically struck gold, you are going to attract people, people who are going to want to invest money into your discovery. And of course, they will want proof, and that's exactly what Jernigan offered them. Jernigan found the investors that he needed in a pair of wealthy parishioners, and what he did was he had one of his so-called accumulator boxes built exactly to his specifications. And the parishioners, along with Jernigan, went out to the Narragansett Bay and watched the box lowered into the water during low tide. Then the they went through one full tidal cycle, and the box was pulled back up. In that way, it was very clear that no one had tampered with it. And what they found out was that the accumulator had actually found or pulled in about $5 worth of pure gold. Not a whole heck of a lot, but it, it confirmed that the accumulator box actually did work. As a result, uh, Jernigan and Fisher formed the Electrolytic Marine Salts Company in December of 1897 and sold 350,000 shares at $1 each and sold them out in three days. Now, just to give you an idea how much money that is, in 2008 dollars, that would be about 10.5 million U.S. dollars. And by July, over 2.4 million shares have been sold. These guys are rich. This truly was one hot stock to own, but was it too good to be true? I mean, anytime someone's pulling gold out of seawater, basically pulling out of thin air, you have to question whether or not the methodology really works. And a Boston investment counselor really had his doubts and hired a chemist named Dr. Carmichael to be sure. And Carmichael went out to the bay and chose an accumulator at random to be tested. That way, Jernigan and Fisher could not influence it in any way. But Jernigan said when they pulled the box in that the accumulator needed to be stirred constantly. The water needed to be in motion. So Carmichael asked for Jernigan to stick his hand in the water and just keep stirring it manually. Carmichael then took the sample back to his lab, and to his surprise, he found out there truly was a little bit of gold in the water. 
that confirmed to everybody that this method that Jernigan Fisher had really did work, and Lubeck boomed. Very shortly after, about 250 of these accumulators were built, and the company had employed about 700 men. This was a big, big thing for a small, small town. Now, these things really did appear to work because as they started to lower the accumulator boxes into the water, as they were built and dropped in, they started pulling out gold and more gold and more gold. Until one day in July 1898 when all of the 250 accumulators were found damaged and disconnected. And somehow Fisher had just disappeared. Big shock, right? Jernigan claimed that Fisher went to Europe to actually open his own plant because there's lots of oceans in this world and you can't just have one in North America. And what Jernigan said was, I'll go to Europe and I'll actually find him. But soon after, it was discovered that Jernigan had withdrawn nearly $300,000 from his bank accounts and just disappeared also. Yes, it was all a hoax. So here's how it all works. It turns out that nobody knew that Charles Fisher was an expert diver. So after the accumulators were dropped into the water, he would then dive down and seed them with gold. And of course, then the accumulators would get pulled up, and to their surprise, there would be gold inside of them. Now, that sounds great, but how do they keep pulling gold out over and over and over again? Well, there's a little trick to that also. It seems that as the gold was taken out of the accumulator, it would then go to a dealer in New York City. The dealer, of course, then would pay money for it. But the same exact gold would then go back to Fisher's house and be stored in a secret room there. And then finally, uh, Charles Fisher would seed them back into the accumulator. So the gold was just going round and round and round and round while these guys were uh, getting money from the investors. Now, the other thing is the chemist. How did they trick the chemist? They pulled this random box out of the water and it actually had gold in it. Well, it turns out there was quicksilver mercury, which attracts gold in the box. And by uh, Jernigan sticking his fingers in there, by putting his hand into the water, he had a gold ring on. So as he was stirring the water, the gold was being removed from his ring and being attracted to the, uh, the quicksilver in the box. So it was all a bunch of trickery. Now, Jernigan actually ended up in Paris and arranged to have $85,000 sent back to the U.S. to assure the confidence of the investors. But, you know, soon after, it was discovered that all this was going on, and he was put on trial. And a court decided that, oddly, that $85,000 was enough, that he didn't have to return any more money. So he didn't, re he didn't even serve a single day of jail time. He was free, but his reputation was ruined. Now, what happened to the rest of the money? No one's exactly sure. But uh, it is known that Jernigan died in Manila, and uh, he apparently died broke. So someone, somewhere, maybe it was Fisher, took the rest of the money. Now, Fisher's obituary appeared in an Australian newspaper in 1900, although some people think that he actually wrote it and planted it himself to kind of get him off the hook. Uh, the Lubeck plant, the, the electrolytic plant, actually became a cannery for fish, and the stockholders, uh, they actually got 35 cents on the dollar, which actually wasn't too bad considering it was a total scam. Now, like all good scams, someone else is going to try it, and sure enough, just seven years later in England, in 1905, a company called Industrial and Engineering Trust Limited proposed to actually extract gold from seawater using its secret process. And it was actually endorsed 
by the 1904 Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, a guy named Sir William Ramsey. Maybe you've heard of him. He discovered just a few of the minor elements on the periodic chart, such as argon, which he discovered with Lord Rayleigh, uh, neon, krypton, xenon, radon, and in fact, he was the first one to discover helium on Earth, although it had already been discovered on the sun. Uh, and he won his Nobel Prize for his discovery of elements in the atmosphere, yet just a year later, he endorsed this extracting of gold from seawater. So a good hoax just never dies. Useless, useful, I'll leave that for you to decide. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now a few words from today's retro sponsor. And now Toby Reed with a word to something that is really a matter of life and death. And that is, Toby, a blowout, Walter. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, a blowout in one of the tires on your automobile. Did you ever stop to think that if you're driving at today's top speed of 35 miles an hour and a blowout swerves your car into an oncoming truck, which travels at the same speed, the resulting crash has a force of 70 miles an hour. Now that's enough to double you right over the steering wheel and push the engine through the dash. Yet there is actually no need for a blowout to throw your car out of control. Not if the car is equipped with Goodyear lifeguards. For the lifeguard is an inner tire, a two-ply safety tire within a tube. It replaces the conventional inner tube, and if your outer tire and tube blow, the inner tire of the lifeguard remains inflated, holds the car steady so you can come to a sure, safe stop. That's the kind of blowout protection your family needs, and such sure protection it is that never once has a lifeguard been reported to fail. Never once. Think it over. Ask your Goodyear dealer if he has any of the few lifeguards now available. If so, equip your car with lifeguards, which are now ration-free. For remember, when your tire blows out, the Goodyear lifeguard never lets you down. It's hard to believe that the top speed back then was 35 miles per hour. That's hardly moving today. In fact, I have a, at least one or two students every single year that tell me they were pulled over by a cop doing 100, 110, 120 miles per hour. So 35 to them must seem like it is crawling. And now for a few totally true tidbits from history that I like to call news of the weird past. Our first story goes back to November 16, 1925 and takes place in Chicago and involves a man named Campbell McCarthy. McCarthy was on death row to be hanged for murder. And as you know, uh, you're entitled to your last meal, a request for your last meal. So he knew he wanted something good and he requested chicken. But all of a sudden, the jailer came to his cell and told him that his execution would stay. He was not going to be hanged. So he smiled, and then McCarthy all of a sudden got very sad because he realized he wasn't going to get his last meal. So he asked the jailers to actually give him the chicken meal and let him stay one more night in prison. And they agreed, and he had that last meal of chicken, even though I'm sure he had many more after that. 
Now, I really like this second story. It takes place on September 3rd, 1928 in Paris. Now, I have to tell you, my French is really bad. I know none, basically. So I had to ask my uh, girlfriend, actually my wife of one week. I'm married one week today. And uh, she lived in Paris for four and a half years. So I asked her to pronounce this guy's name for me. And she said it's Auguste Mosner, or I would have read it as August Mosner. So whichever one you want, that's uh, up to you. But anyway, in Paris on September 3rd, 1928, it's reported that uh, Mosner was sentenced to five years in jail for robbery. And he had this really ingenious system. What he would do is actually go to the house that he intended to rob and slip a note under the door. And he would go back for three days. And if after three days the note was still there, he knew that no one was home. And then, of course, he would rob the place. He was incredibly successful and became fairly wealthy from this. Now, the interesting thing is he would actually wine and dine occasionally with some of the people he had robbed. And he was considered by many to be incredibly well-dressed. And when they arrested him, the police actually found that he had 125 suits of clothes hanging in his apartment. And uh, he actually claims that his elegant appearance was his best protection. And the last little tidbit for today was reported back on January 5th, 1953 in Bloomingburg, New York, which is actually fairly close to uh, where I was raised, about 15 miles away. And it seems that a guy named Francis Van Winkle sold all of his father's farm machinery for just $275, took the money, and left home. Didn't tell his dad he was going to do it. Well, he then crawled, he came home one day, crawled into bed, and he was immediately arrested by the police. Why? Because when he left, his father actually sold the farm, and he was now sleeping in the bed of the new owners. And now the answer to today's question of the day. Now, at the beginning of the podcast, I told you that on September 17, 2008, which is just a couple of weeks away, it will mark the 100th anniversary of the death of Lieutenant Thomas Selfridge. And I told you you probably never heard of him, but his death was pretty significant. Well, it turns out that he's the first man ever to die in a powered airplane. In fact, the person that was piloting the plane was Orville Wright, the inventor of the airplane. Uh, and Wright actually uh, uh, was knocked unconscious and suffered a broken leg, fractured ribs, and hip bones. And he was in actually in, a, in pain for the rest of his life. So Selfridge was the first person ever to die in an airplane. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's story on extracting gold from seawater, as well as the question of the day, listening to the retro sponsor, and the news of the weird past, little tidbits that I like to tell. If you'd like to read more true stories just like these, please be sure to get a copy of one of my books. They are Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart. Both books are available from your local bookseller, online retails, and of course, through your local library. If you'd like to contact me for any reason, just send me an email at useless at steve.silverman.name. That's useless at steve.silverman.name. You can also visit my website, which is uselessinformation.org. And as always, I'd appreciate it if you'd log into iTunes and leave some positive comments to help increase the number of listeners to this podcast. And once again, I thank you for listening, and hopefully you'll tune in the next time. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.